بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد the purpose of this gathering like any other gathering of this nature any dini gathering any get together where something of deen is going to be discussed so the objective is to revise make muzakara of the lessons that we need to keep refreshing in our hearts and minds of those aspects that bring us closer to allah taala of reminding ourselves of what are the barriers and how to try and avoid them how to bypass these barriers that come in our way in the path of allah taala so these gatherings are nothing but muzakara but nevertheless from any gathering any dini discussion a person would get what he intends the hadith sharif nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam says innamal a'malu bin niyat so one very clear meaning of this hadith sharif is that according to the sincerity a person will be rewarded for an amal that is one primary meaning of the tradition that if there is ikhlas in anything that a person does then it will be acceptable in the court of allah taala and no matter how great something can apparently be but if it is devoid of ikhlas then it is going to be rejected but together with that if a person has made a particular niyat in something then the barakat of that niyat comes in it if the niyat is positive then that barakat of that positive niyat will be derived out of that amal out of that action if that niyat is negative the person will leave with something negative so if a we attend some dini gathering and the niyat is that whatever i will hear inshallah i will bring into my life make amal then that becomes inshallah a means of a person getting the tawfiq of amal allah taala system regardless of whatever the uh, detail was whether something we heard for the 50th time or the 100th time or anything else for that matter the person here was sincere for amal allah taala makes that possible so therefore this is the very important thing that we should just refresh our intention refresh our niyat that why we've gathered is gathered solely that to make this muzakara nothing else nothing new the same things that we've heard many many times to refresh it and to try and inculcate these things in our lives so with this intention something is meant to be spoken the same intention is meant to be heard allah taala make it a means of benefit for myself all of us other thing is that these muzakaras on a what we term as islahi note or the majalis of islah and tazkiya this too is not something new not something we haven't heard before but again the same thing that muzakara of what this is all about when we speak about islah we speak about tazkiya so what islah we talking about what tazkiya is being referred to 
So sometimes we confine this to just specific aspects. Whereas it is not confined to any particular part of deen, it encompasses the whole of deen. Sometimes the purpose or the rather the meaning of Islam that we take, that a person for example was involved in some major sins, outward major sins, so he stops that. Indeed that's a very big Islam. It's a very very great step in one's Islam that mashallah a person gave up some haram that he was involved in, person was involved in zina, gambling, person was involved in looking at haram, going to haram places. So that's a very big step in Islam, mashallah. A person perhaps was not performing his salah, now he starts performing his salah, alhamdulillah, summa alhamdulillah. That's an extremely great step, very, very great step. And like that, other aspects in terms of what should be done, a person starts making an effort to inculcate it in his life. Things that should be refrained from, a person starts making an effort to get these things out of his life. Alhamdulillah, very, very great. And this is a very fundamental part of Islam. But there are, apart from this, other aspects as well, which are often not given the same importance in our hearts and minds, as we would give that a person, for example, is involved in intoxicant, somebody, Allah forbid, is caught up on drugs, and that he must give this up, he must leave it out. So everybody supports that idea, everybody is conscious of it, his whole family would be constantly reminding him, making efforts to get somebody to talk to him, somebody to advise him, that look, this is a very bad thing, this is something you must give up. Indeed, obviously. But everybody is conscious of that, that this is something to give up, something to rid one's system out of. But supposing, and we ourselves be conscious about it, if we see this in somebody, somebody close to us, somebody near and dear to us, Allah like protect us, protect one and all. And just on this, just to digress a little, all these issues are serious issues, but the principle in all these things is, that we despise the sin, not the sinner. Despise the sin and not the sinner. Look down on the sin, not the sinner. Because tomorrow what's the outcome? Neither we know our own outcome, we don't know somebody else's outcome. Where somebody else, what height he can reach, we have no idea. Allah forbid where we can fall, we don't know. So we can't make any judgment on somebody's tomorrow. We can make judgment on the action. Some action is wrong, so sometimes this too is a uh, misunderstanding that you can't pass judgment on anything. No, you can pass judgment on what Allah Ta'ala has already passed judgment, or what Nabi Islam has already passed judgment on. Allah Ta'ala has already passed judgment on gambling is haram, so you have to say gambling is haram. Can't say that don't pass judgment on this, don't become judgmental on it. You have to be judgmental on what Allah Ta'ala has passed judgment on. Oh, Nabi Islam has forbidden something, so you're going to pass the same judgment. This is forbidden. You can't start compromising that and saying, well, okay, don't say anything about this, don't say it's wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong. But we can't pass judgment on the person's end result. This person is involved in this, he's a right of Nauzubillah. 
Oh, this person, I'm better than him, Nauzubillah. That we can never ever make such a judgment about anybody or ourselves. So in any case, a person is involved in something or the other, we also be conscious about it. This is something must be given up. It's wrong, it's bad, it's harmful, detrimental. But that same amount of consciousness that we have about these major sins, which are major sins, but apparent sins, we don't even have sometimes a very small fraction of that consciousness about some other major sins which lurk within us. For example, that degree of consciousness about pride, that this pride that is within me, which is manifesting itself in different ways. Now, pride is not something anybody can visibly see. This is the malady in somebody's heart, in our own hearts. But it will manifest itself in many ways. How we speak, how we react especially to various situations. Somebody said something, somebody did something within the four walls of our home. How we conduct ourselves in our businesses. Something goes wrong and what kind of language a person starts using. How he treats somebody, somebody made a mistake. What kind of reaction comes from his side all these things, somebody on the road, somebody cut in front of him maybe while he was driving, anything for day-to-day issues, the reactions are very great indication of what is inside. So now we detect obviously the pride within us, we might detect jealousy in us, if a person just looks little but sometimes we'll be able to see for ourselves that this jealousy is sometimes lurking, that a person is wishing somebody else's ni'mat be snatched away from him, something must come happen to him, somebody must get hurt in some way and harmed in some way, destroyed. All these things are lurking in the heart. Sometimes the issue of, for example, badgumani, harboring baseless suspicions. This happens like on a daily basis. Somebody said something and we jump to conclusions about why he said it. That this was the intent. Because perhaps whatever it was, person made a statement of some sort, said something to us. So now we jump to the conclusion that this person said this just because he wanted to score some point against me. Now, this happens like multiple times daily. But how often have we reflected that from the day of Tiamat, I am questioned about producing the evidence for what I, the conclusion I jumped to. That I said this person said this because this was his intention. Where is the pro- evidence? This was his intention. Can you prove it? This was his intention. I can't prove anything. I have I placed myself on the scene of Tiamat that uh, could I prove this? I can't prove it. So does this come under Badgumani or not? Quran Shari says that in the if his thoughts which are baseless suspicions are sin. Now that same consciousness that is there about a person being involved in some intoxicant, which is obviously very serious, somebody in Auzubillah gambling, somebody involved in zina, somebody involved in backbiting. Backbiting unfortunately is not even given that kind of seriousness and severity in our situation. So these things which we do regard as severe and are very severe, 
that same consciousness is not there in our hearts regarding these internal sins. Now just as a person is conscious about these external sins, this Islam and Tazkiyah is to make this effort to make ourselves conscious of these internal sins also. Within ourselves, the things that lurk in there. And just as a person with some understanding of Deen, he makes an effort to keep himself clear from the external sins. Person who's got some consciousness of Deen, mashallah, he dresses in an Islamic manner, he has a beard, he is seen in the masjid regularly, he'll be very hesitant to walk into a bar. He won't do it. Even if for some reason he's suddenly got an urge to do it, he won't do it. He'll hold himself back from it. You won't see him going to a gambling den. Allah Ta'ala forbid, this won't, won't be the case, generally. Why? Because he's conscious of it. I am dressed in an Islamic garb. I am in the masjid every day. I am involved in dini efforts, etc. He's not going to go and do all these things. But in terms of these internal things, very often it's not even any concern that this has to be rectified as well. Now this is that part of Islam which is being neglected. And this is what this gathering is all about, to try and bring that consciousness alive. First is, the first step is the consciousness. From the consciousness is the effort. If there isn't a consciousness, then the chances of an effort are far away. And if there isn't an effort, then the chances of rectification is even further away. Because that will only come after an effort is made. That a person who makes an effort, Allah Ta'ala opens the way for him. So this is the whole object. It's only a muzakara, only a revision, nothing new. But the revision is extremely necessary. So the Quran Sharif itself gives us this command of revision. Keep reminding. وَذَكِّرْ تَذْكِيرْ Our Shaykh Azza Shaykh Mahtasar Rahmatullah used to often mention this, that this tazkir, zakkir is in the Arabic language, amr. It's an imperative verb. And this is derived from the mubari, which is now grammatical terminology. In this mubari is both the present and the future tense. So in this amr and this imperative, both these senses are included. In other words, remind now and continue reminding. The future also is part of this. So this is an ongoing need, ongoing command that this should be done repeatedly because this is a reminder is extremely important to keep that spirit alive. And a person who doesn't have any reminders, days go by, weeks go by, months go by, very, very soon he'll start seeing a decline. person who doesn't have any reminders in any manner, whether it is through some gathering of deen, reading some authentic kitabs of the Akavir, the Ahlullah, etc., whatever other means of the reminders they are, he gets no reminders. Then we can write it down, it will start seeing a decline. And everything is a reminder. A person daily is mentally making his zikr, for example. What is a zikr? It's reminding him of the consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. Reminding him Allah Ta'ala is the greatest. Allah Ta'ala is his sustainer. Allah Ta'ala is his nourisher. The whole day is reminders for us. The child is born. The first thing that is 
to be done is the azan and the takbir. So already 12 times put together in the azan and takbir, 12 times Allahu Akbar. Allah is the greatest. So the child is barely born. To us the child can understand nothing, doesn't know what's going on. But Shariat is giving us this teaching, Nabi Sallallahu guidance and teaching that you give this azan. So Nabi Sallallahu will not teach us something that is futile. Nothing that he taught is futile. It's full of benefits, which means that the child is absorbing something. So now seat the greatness of Allah Ta'ala in the heart of this child. So now as the child grows, eventually now he's going to start performing salah. So every day he's going to hear the azan, five times a day. Then come to the masjid, he'll hear the iqama again, five times a day. And then throughout his salah, every posture he's going to keep saying the same Allahu Akbar. Now how many times in one day he would hear or say Allahu Akbar? Unfortunately, this is done without that consciousness. It's done without that istihzar, that presence of mind. As a result, the full benefit is not derived. Otherwise, this really, this alone is such a great reminder. Allahu Akbar. And when a person is reminding himself repeatedly, Allahu Akbar, so many times in a day, so many times he's hearing it, so many times he's saying it, if he's doing it really consciously, then that pride will start getting annihilated very quickly. Totally, in fact. Because Allah Ta'ala is the greatest, I am nobody, I am nothing. But this again is the same reminder. Practical reminder through the azan, through the iqama, through the salah. So like that are these gatherings of deen. It's a reminder, nothing but a reminder. And this reminder is very essential. That is why there are so many reminders that are all the time encouraged. For example, the talim in the home. That is a reminder for the whole family. Everybody should get around, have the talim. So it becomes a reminder for the every person in the household. They get reminded about salah, get reminded about tilawat of the Quran Sharif, get reminded about zikr, get reminded about the sacrifices that were made for deen, how deen came alive, and how deen reached us. So it creates a consciousness. It creates a fervor to start doing the same. Start practicing. So, this aspect that we were talking about, this aspect of Islah and Tazkiyah, so one is Islah, which includes obviously all the external things as well. Person's Salah, his Zakat, fasting, Hajj will all come alive. Person must refrain from all the sins, apparent sins. But likewise, this other part of Deen, which is often neglected, this Tazkiyah of the heart, the internal aspects, and these are very, very subtle sometimes, extremely subtle. And these are things which many a times, they are so subtle that a person cannot even detect that it is there. It's very subtle. Not everybody can understand it and detect it. Some things are very apparent. A person is coughing, sneezing, he's got a fever. Even a small child puts his hand on his forehead and tells him he's got a fever. Can understand it. But sometimes there's some cancer lurking inside and it's so subtle the person himself doesn't know what's going on and nobody externally can work out what's going on until someday when it explodes, Allah forbid. 
something really happens and now everything just erupts. But the expert sometimes, some, some science picks it up. Outwardly you see now expert and science and so on. So just as we have the physical doctors, doctors for the physical self, there are those Allah Ta'ala has blessed with that insight and that expertise about the person's spiritual self. Imam Shafi Rahmatullah one person was once insisting upon him that you have this ability of kash, that certain things you detect and can basically see things that other people don't see, meaning like unseen things. So he is denying it, he's saying, I don't have any such thing. This person is insisting that you have it. He says, no, I don't have any such thing. And he's not going to lie, he's a person of that caliber. He's not going to say something that is a lie. So in any case, as they're talking about this, one person happened to pass by, a complete stranger. He happened to just pass by. Now they are talking and this person passes by. So the person who was now making this, insisting on Imam you have this kash. So he just asked, okay, this person who's gone past, what do you think, what is his occupation, what does he do for a living? So he looked at him, looked at his walking, how he's walking, just observed it for a while. And then he said he's either a blacksmith or he's a carpenter. He's a blacksmith, iron monk, person working with iron and so on, or he's a carpenter. So the person was debating with Imam Shafi now he heard this, so he quickly chased behind that passerby. And then stopped him, said, look, I just want to ask you what you do for a living, what you do, what your occupation. So he said, previously I was a blacksmith, now I'm a carpenter. Before I used to work as a blacksmith, now I'm a carpenter. Now, what he made out, how he saw this, what became the means of identifying this? So it is the very fine things that manifest itself in a person when he is occupied in something. Person who is doing something, there are certain very fine signs that come along. Now, not everybody is able to detect that. Somebody of that caliber, with that fine sight, and knowing the signs, he can detect it. The Hakims put their hand on the pulse of a person, and they are reading something. And then they are diagnosing as a result of that what they are reading. Perhaps we might not even find where our pulse is. But they are reading so many signs out of that. And diagnosing, and diagnosing accurately. Now sometimes, after a lot of uh, scans and tests and whatnot, after a lot of other things, then a person, the doctors come to that conclusion, which some expert Hakims come to, by really touching a person's pulse. When Alim came many years ago to South Africa from India, senior person, maybe about 15-20 years ago, more or so. So he was just talking in general, and uh, somebody asked him something in, in answer to that. He was just saying, no, when I came, I stopped in Bombay on my way to South Africa, because I needed to see this Hakim before I came. So he started talking about the Hakim. So he said when he went to the Hakim, the Hakim put his hand on his pulse and for about a minute and a half, two minutes, carried on just doing that and reading the pulse tightly. And then he asked him, okay, tell me what your problems are. So he read the pulse, he didn't say anything. He asked him, okay, tell me what your problems are. 
So he started giving all the problems, I have this problem and that problem and whatever, about half a dozen things he mentioned. So when he stopped, he said, anything else? He said, no, this, this, these are the issues that I want to do, treat. So when he said, no, nothing else, so the Hakim asked him, but what about this particular issue? He mentioned one thing. So when he said that, so that was the main thing I came for. So I forgot that, that was the main thing I came for, out of all these things, that was the main thing. Now he forgot about it himself, but the Hakim read it through the pulse. Now that's not any crush, that's an expertise, that's a skill. It's a skill that he picked up, some training, whatever. But the point is that he can put his hand on somebody's pulse and diagnose deep inner issues. So likewise, from a person's talk, from his walk, from his actions and reactions, and various things, those who Allah Ta'ala has blessed with their expertise, they will detect things which we will be totally oblivious of. We will think very fine about ourselves. But they'll point out to us that what we did, what we said, these are very, very, these are giving indications of some underlying issues. One person, he once had, Hazrat Mufti Mahmoud Sahib he had invited him to his hometown, so any case others had gone, so now he's introducing his hometown and after having mentioned a few things, now he was the only alim in that town, there was nobody else there. So now just more in a jovial way, he just said it more in a jovial way, he said, this is the town I am in and this is who I am in, among the blind, I am the cockeyed among the blinds. Andome me kana ho. In this one line of yours, you've made two claims. Now, can we even just, our mind, go to anything, any claim in this? The person is, we, if we made, and we would have probably made some kind of statement sometime like this, feeling ourselves to be now making a very humble statement. Uh, very humble. I say, in one statement, you made two claims. One claim you already made is that all these people are all rejected, because they're all blind. So you're not talking about blind, no, not physically blind. They say, Ando Mekana, so all these people are all write-offs. So what basis are you making this claim on? They're all write-offs. And the other, that you are not blind, you are cockeyed, you have one eye see. So you better. So in this one statement, you already condemned all of them, and you claimed you are better than them. On what basis you did this? Now, how fine this analysis was, and this diagnosis was, he said it more in a jovial manner, in a light-hearted way, but as I was giving a lesson. Now this is that fine-tuning, this is that rectification of the heart, making it very, very conscious. Everything that is said, everything that is done, to be able to judge it correctly, and see where it falls, which side of the fence is falling on, on the right side, on the left side, and to make it very, very sensitive, Sensitive to all the aspects of deen. On the sensitivity, one incident comes to mind. Once, the whole objective was to read from some of the Malfuzad, or Hazrat explain, but in any case, these are some of the lessons. Once Hazrat was traveling somewhere, and he 
had stopped somewhere and somebody had given him while he was there a jubba as a hadiya. So now when this jubba was given, he was probably standing at that time, so somebody, one of the khuddam, they said, otherwise you try it out. He said, okay. So as a hadiya, he accepted the hadiya. If a person is giving a hadiya, there's no uh, indication of any ulterior motive in it, there is no problem in accepting it, then it's sunnah to accept the hadiya. So he accepted it, and Hazrat used to accept the hadiyas of people who come without a sincerity. Sometimes uh, people used to think also, maybe sometimes make comments also that, mashallah, these hadiyas are all just flowing in, they're having a good time with all these hadiyas. And indeed, a lot of people would come and give a lot of hadiyas, but this is again one thing comes out of the other, we're just digressing from the point. Just how sometimes we misjudge things. Again, this, how shaitan puts thoughts, people jump to conclusions and whatnot. So yes, Hazrat Yusuf, people out of muhabbat, out of muhabbat, somebody will come, they'll give something, so they'll accept it. But then, what was the other part of it? So that became his ownership, obviously. Once, there was one kitab that had to be printed. And these kitabs used to be printed and then distributed 99% of the time just... In fact, 100% was all distributed free. So there was a kitab in three volumes, which was the commentary of Hazrat Ash'ar, etc., which had been prepared now, and it needed to be printed. So, people who were gathered there, some of the khuddam and so on, said that uh, now this kitab, we're going to have to print it, but the printer needs the money up front because he needs to buy the paper and needs to do other things. So now he wants advance payment of bulk of that amount. And now it's three volumes. And he's going to print at least a thousand copies of three volumes. So it's a substantial cost. So that asked, Kitna uh, hoga? So this was now some good years before he passed away. So at that time, it was amounting to some. I'm not sure exactly of the figure, of the total figure, but at that time the amount that was required immediately for the work to start was approximately 700,000 rupees. 700,000 plus rupees. So, one of the khadims who used to be responsible for keeping Hazrat's things and so on, so he was standing right there. So I asked him, oh, kitna How much money is there in that, whatever you kept? Meaning people's hadiyas, as he came, how much is there? So he went and checked up and came, it was about, just about that amount. All those kitabs were going to be distributed for free. When the need came, there wasn't half a second of hesitation, give the whole amount away for the printing, and all get distributed. The hadiyah came, but the way it was used, they had no worldly aspirations for any personal comfort and so on. But Allah Ta'ala bless, mashallah, they made shukar upon it and enjoyed the ni'mas of Allah Ta'ala but this is how it was, it came this how and went this how so in any case we digress from the point about this sensitivity that one is our hearts other is the hearts of the Ahlullah who are connected to Allah Ta'ala and when we talk about this connection of the hearts to Allah Ta'ala it is this muhabbat 
this very deep, intense muhabbat, love. Now, only they know what they're talking about when they talk about this muhabbat, this love of Allah Ta'ala that they talk about, because this is not something tangible that can be put in front of somebody, okay, you also feel it, you also taste it. It's something inside the heart which is that connection, who has it, they have it, they understand what they're having. And when there is muhabbat, muhabbat makes a person extremely sensitive to the extent of muhabbat. Some examples are much more easier to understand than other examples. Sometimes things get very complicated, but with simple examples they become very easy to understand. Among the things that are very, very easy to understand, some examples that are very easy to understand, examples of marriage and food. Everybody understands very, very easily. So now a person who is just newly married, maybe the first day of his marriage, and after a lot of aspiration, he finally that nikah got done. He was trying really hard to get his proposal accepted, and finally it came right, and now he got married. So now how does he conduct himself in that first meeting, in the first day or two? He is hypersensitive, he mustn't do anything that will cause any kind of negative feeling. Why? It's love that's dictating everything. So now he's trying to express that love in every way, and he's suppressing any emotion or anything that he is not happy about something to, just so that not to give the slightest negative feeling in anything. What is dictating all that? Only muhabbat. Now that's how he's carrying on. Nothing but muhabbat is doing that. So that he became very sensitive to everything. I mustn't do anything that's going to be now create any kind of negativity and find different ways to express uh, that muhabbat and love. You'll see him in the first few days that he's opening the door and so on. And after a couple of weeks, he sometimes forgot to even pick the passengers up also. So that intensity in the first few days is dictating everything. So that is the effect of muhabbat. It created a certain sensitivity. Muhabbat created that sensitivity. Now this is for makhluk. This is for makhluk and every makhluk like us. The Anbiya were the perfect beings. Allah Ta'ala gave the highest excellence and among them Rasulullah the greatest of all excellence. And then as the time went and now People like us, we are filled with faults, we are filled with all deficiencies. So this is all makhluk, we are makhluk also. So despite being filled with deficiencies all around, but that muhabbat makes people sensitive to each other in such a way. That despite the next person's deficiencies too, we have this extent of sensitivity. Why? Because of muhabbat. Now when that muhabbat develops with Allah Ta'ala, when that conscious, when that ta'aluk develops with Allah Ta'ala, then can we imagine when a person becomes conscious of Allah Ta'ala, what extent of sensitivity will develop in the heart for what will please Allah Ta'ala? And to refrain from what will displease Allah Ta'ala. Because only muhabbat that makes a person now, in the first few days of marriage, because of the intensity of that muhabbat, Whatever his habits are to, he will be able to easily refrain from it. 
Then he doesn't say that I can't do without this and can't do without that. He says, no, I'll do without everything. Just to try and keep everything going very well. But then after a while when the intensity starts leveling out, then somehow he can't manage anything. He can't hold his tongue. He can't refrain from doing things in some wrong ways. He can't uh, bring himself to give quality time. He can't do anything. But initially he could do everything. So what was the difference? It was an intensity of muhabbat. But now when this muhabbat develops for Allah Ta'ala, then can we imagine Allah Ta'ala is khaliq. Allah Ta'ala is totally free from every blemish, every deficiency. Allah Ta'ala is the creator of every perfection. So when that muhabbat develops with Allah Ta'ala, what degree of sensitivity it will create in the hearts? That's beyond our comprehension and imagination. Those who Allah Ta'ala blessed it with, they know what they're talking about, what they're feeling. So now just this understanding of this sensitivity. So now we're talking about this incident. Somebody gave him this jubba as a hadiya. So now he was trying it on. Somebody suggested try it on. So he was standing. So he said, okay, let's try it on. So this person opened it out. Now he helped him to put it on. As soon as he put it on, with sort of urgency, it's called Nikalo Jalli. Take it out. This person didn't fully understand and comprehend immediately that why should I, you know, that I should take it out quickly. So he started still maybe coming around to take it out. So with even more force, he said, Jalli Nikalo. So he then quickly came and he, well, he was standing there, whatever. He quickly helped him to take it off. So now when it was off, removed now, so he's shocked also what happened. So either he inquired or however, but he said, didn't you notice that it was already, it was long, now it was new, he was trying it out, so it was the first time it was just being tried, tried out, didn't you notice it was below my ankles? And if in that moment my moth came, I would have passed away with this thing on me, below my ankles, how would I have met Allah Ta'ala then? Now this sensitivity, my Allah is watching, my Allah is aware, and I don't want to do the slightest thing to displease Him. What's directing that, what's dictating that, that muhabbat for Allah Ta'ala. So what am I saying, what am I doing? Now, to make excuses for ourselves is very easy. Sometimes we do something, and we'll make some excuse for ourselves. You see, actually, I, I didn't want to say it, but that person now, the way he carried on, he made me say it. Your tongue is in your mouth. Did he hold it and shake it? Did you say it? So now, that person did something, that staff member or whatever, so now the person starts swearing. I start swearing, and then he realized that he's swearing now. It's not the right thing to do. You see, you, you always make me do this, you make me swear. So now it became that person's fault. See, my sin on your head. With your qiyamah, Allah Ta'ala is going to take you to task for me swearing. No, no, Allah Ta'ala is not going to take somebody else to task for our swearing. For our wrongdoing. For our incorrect actions. That person's wrong, he'll be answerable for. Our wrong, we will be answerable for. But due to that lack of sensitivity in the heart, so things will happen, things will carry on, and at the most we'll make some excuse about it, we'll think nothing about it. Now this is what that Islam is all about, that Tazkiyah. 
creating that sensitivity in the heart. And this comes with muhabbat, ta'aluk with Allah Ta'ala. To the extent that the person has developed this ta'aluk with Allah Ta'ala, to that extent the sensitivity starts getting created. He was very ill in his perhaps last days of life and he needed to be helped to even make his wudu. So the person who was going to be helping him to make the wudu, he started pouring the water, washing the hands, he started pouring, instead of pouring from the fingers down, he started pouring from the elbow down. Now the sunnah is that when washing the hands, then you should wash from the fingers down. So in that moment, he just started pouring it from the other end, just went to pour. Now he's in his, that moment of time, illness, and he suddenly realized this person was about to do this, so he reprimanded him, he pulled his hand away and reprimanded him, Mujhse kufar karwana chahte ho. You want me to commit kufar? Now those who have studied Bukhari Sharif, etc., they would understand immediately what context he is using this word in. Imam Bukhari also titles one chapter in Bukhari Sharif, Babun Kufrun Duna Kufrin. That various different levels of kufar. So this is now in the, uh, not in the meaning of kufar in terms of the terminology. That kufr which is the opposite of iman. This is not that kufr. But every sin is a kind of a degree of kufr, which is not the kufr that renders a person's iman null and void. But it's kufr in a lesser sense. So now he was using this word in that context. But now in that moment of time, he is still so sensitive to this. That this action that you want me to do now against the sunnah is like you want me to commit a kind of kufr. Sensitivity. Why Allah Ta'ala, that taluk with Allah Ta'ala wa Ta'ala. So that taluk now created the sensitivity that nothing should happen which might earn the displeasure of Allah Ta'ala. And everything must be done in such a way that I earn the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala even more. Now where this comes from? This comes from like everything else, to perform salah, there's an effort behind it. To learn to perform that salah correctly. Otherwise, if a person didn't learn to perform that salah correctly also, many a person performs that salah for years and is doing it in a way that is not valid. Sometimes a person is performing the salah in such a way that he's doing certain things which are rendering that salah null and void. Many a times it becomes apparent. That even requires an effort to learn how to perform the salah correctly. So an external amal, like salah, needs to be learned. That wudu needs to be learned. That manner of correctly fulfilling the fast needs to be learned. The correct discharging of zakat needs to be learned. And many a times people don't learn even these external ibadahs correctly. As a result, people discharge the zakat haphazardly. And now sometimes in a just casual discussion, the person says how he went about discharging his zakat and it becomes clear he short paid tremendously because he didn't go about it correctly he didn't go about calculating it correctly he didn't bother finding out a person doesn't learn the external things which are very simple to learn he doesn't make an effort to learn that that too will be null and void imagine if there's no effort made to learn what is so subtle within the heart of what should be inculcated how things that are lurking in there which are 
the cancers, the spiritual cancers of the heart, how that is to be treated, how it's to be removed. If these simple amal, relatively, comparatively speaking, which are simple to learn, doesn't take too much of an effort. It needs an effort, obviously, but it's not complicated. It's simple comparatively. But this also has to be learned. There's an effort behind it. That wudu is simple to learn. If a person puts his mind to it, even a child, two, three times round, and he'll learn it. That young child will learn it. He does it right thereafter. But it needs to be learned, but it's comparatively simple. When that comparatively simple amal also needs to be learned, needs to be some, some tuition needs to be taken for it, some guidance is required from somebody who knows how to do it correctly, then the very deep things in the heart, the very subtle aspects that lurk in there, is that going to be rectified without some expert guidance, without subjecting oneself to somebody's tuition, without an effort to start off with, that is a very far-fetched thing. That is very, very far-fetched, that will never happen. That requires a person to subject himself to a learning process, to a rectification process. Until that doesn't happen, let alone the deep inner things of the heart, even the external things don't come right, generally. Illa mashallah. So this is what is all this Islam all about, this all about, this rectification of the heart. It's often termed as Islam nafs, this inner self. This inner self is what then dictates what happens on the outer self. What's in the heart, it then expresses itself externally. So now this is also an effort. This is what this whole branch of Tazkiyah is all about. This effort on the inner side. This effort on the heart. On correcting those things that lurk within us. Those cancers that are within us. That pride, that malice, that jealousy. All the various other love of dunya, love of the ego. And looking down upon others. All the other various things that lurk within us. And inculcating all the noble and beautiful qualities. The tawazu, the taqwa, and the inabat ilallah, ruju ilallah, creating this muhabbat of Allah ta'ala in the heart, this taluk with Allah ta'ala, this is what this Islam is all about. This too is an effort, it's a process, there's things to be learned, there's things to be followed up, there's a whole cause that a person has to put himself through, and inshallah someday, somewhere, with the fuzzle of Allah ta'ala, a person will get to the point. So, this is the whole purpose of these gatherings, to merely just conscientize ourselves. This is not anything beyond that. It's just merely a reminder for myself, for all of us, that this is also our need. It's an extremely essential need to focus on our Islam, our inner selves, our external selves, to bring ourselves completely onto the path of being, the commands of Allah Ta'ala, which pertain to our external selves, which pertain to our heart, the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah ta'ala give me also the tawfiq, give us all the tawfiq. Inshallah we'll continue after the Maghrib sunnah.